0: Hi, welcome back to SoulGum. Thank you for being here. I'm in my closet recording again just like last week. This is the second episode ever. It's actually kind of nice in here. I brought my yoga mat and pillows. It's kind of dark. It's sort of like a womb, a cave. So I just edited the first episode and I realized listening to it that I was sort of subconsciously talking in a phone sex voice and i think i'm also doing it right now so i wanted to clarify that i am not trying to sound sexy i just have a really crackly voice naturally and i'm trying to minimize the crackles because i feel like they're very unpleasant to listen to especially with the microphone no disrespect to anyone in the phone sex industry though i'm reading hunger by roxanne gay right now and she used to be a phone sex operator did you know that i also just came back from this group meeting where i was like talking about my feelings to strangers and that sort of thing always makes me feel like i'm gonna cry and i still sort of have that feeling in my voice like i'm gonna cry so sorry if i'm talking funny okay let's get into it so today we're going to be talking about friendship i think the cultural norms and social contracts related to friendship are fascinating and so messy and so confusing so we're gonna get into that we are going to dissect three things about friendship specifically number one why I think friendship can be even more emotionally difficult and messy than dating. Number two, how to navigate making friends as an adult. And number three, whether the era we're living in right now where we're starting to reject selflessness as a virtue, and we are increasingly prioritizing honoring our own boundaries and emotional limits and social batteries and filling our own cup, is essentially making us bad friends. In other words, we're going to ask, do you have to choose between being a good, reliable, supportive friend who makes your friends feel really valued and loved, and taking care of yourself and making yourself feel Really loved? And if not, how do you do both? Okay, so that's where we're going. Starting with the first topic, one hill that I will die on is that friendship is, or at least can be, emotionally messier and more confusing than dating. I have thought this my entire life, but I've also gaslit myself my entire life into thinking that this is an incorrect opinion and that I just feel this way basically because I'm socially anxious and I'm a little bit gay and I'm really non-confrontational. I'm a huge overthinker and I'm very dramatic and I'm very good at manufacturing drama and emotional turmoil that maybe isn't there. And all of that is perhaps true, but I also think there are some societally baked in elements of friendship that make it really difficult compared to dating. So reason number one, there are no clear labels when it comes to friendship and it's abnormal to seek clarity about what the labels we do have mean or which label you fall under i want to preface this whole episode by saying that when i use terms like normal and abnormal i'm not placing any moral goodness or badness on whatever i'm talking about i'm simply referring to how common and expected that behavior is okay so when someone says you're their significant other their boyfriend their girlfriend you know what that means we have a million examples in media literature real life we know the rules we know at least in monogamy land where i live that there's an expectation of exclusivity for example an emotional priority and a high frequency of communication we know we're at least somewhat equally yoked in terms of emotional investment in the sense that we're both each other's top romantic person we know we're going to talk to this person really often, usually pretty constantly. We're probably going to be physically affectionate. We know the story. We've heard it a thousand times. And even if you're non-monogamous, by the way, my understanding from my non-monogamous friends is that it's extremely normal and I think even expect it to communicate about the terms and conditions of the relationship to talk about what are the rules here where do we stand with each other in terms of emotional priority what is our code of conduct and in general in dating it's quite normal to have conversations to clarify what's going on when you feel unclear to have a define the relationship conversation to ask what are we doing here Where is this headed? Are we on the same page? Do you feel about me how I feel about you? Friendship, on the other hand, is the wild, wild west when it comes to labels. When someone says you're their friend or their close friend or their best friend, what does that mean? Like, does that person consider their closest four friends their close friends or their closest 20? I have no idea. When someone says you are their best friend, does that mean you are actually their best friend, friend spot number one? Or are they one of those people who has like 10 friends who they call their best friends? I was thinking about while I was planning this episode how I kind of miss the days of the MySpace top eight, which on one hand was a deeply chaotic, black mirror y thing. I can't believe we did that. But on the other hand, at least you knew where you stood and maybe you're a gen z person you're asking victoria what is the myspace top eight let me tell you about it you're gonna lose your mind so you probably know that myspace was the first big social media before facebook around 2005 to 2008 and just to set the mood of that time we were really still fumbling around in the dark when it came to socializing on the internet. So for example, this was also the era of hotornot.com where you uploaded a picture of yourself or someone else, I guess, for a public vote of whether you were hot or not, the results of which were then displayed for everyone who voted to see. Can you imagine? So we were in the early stages of discovering the thrill of using the internet to quantify our likability and attractiveness, but we had no subtlety about it yet. So cue the MySpace top eight. On your MySpace profile for everyone to see was your friend space where you would quite simply rank your top eight friends or I think you could do up to 16 if you had a lot of friends so it was a common practice if you had a significant other to put them as number one but then after that you just ranked your friends and sometimes it was really hurtful because you could see oh I have so-and-so as my number four friend and they have me as their number seven friend wow wow And people would also weaponize it, like, oh, so-and-so and and I had a fight, so let me move them out of my top eight for good old-fashioned public shaming that will show them. So it was extremely unhinged, clearly. And on balance, I think that is probably, probably not a good thing to rank human beings, like ice cream flavors. But, wow, what a fleeting moment of clarity in the nebulous, murky land of friendships. You knew exactly where you stood. So I want to talk about Aristotle a little bit here because I think he addresses the topic of friendship labels in a way that cuts through the bullshit a little bit. I mean, not to the degree of Tom from MySpace who was just ruthless with it, but a little bit. One more thing about Tom before we move on. I think, so Tom was the founder of MySpace. Did I say Facebook a second ago? I meant MySpace. I think he put himself as everyone's top friend on their top eight as a default (laughs) like what a choice what a choice that was tom back to aristotle so in nicomachean ethics aristotle divides friendships into three categories utility friendships pleasure friendships and philia friendships which i know how that sounds we'll talk about it. So utility friendships are friendships where your driver for the friendship is that the person is useful to you in some way. So for example, maybe you only want to be someone's friend because you feel they're more popular than you. And you think that being their friend might make you look a little more cool. I'm not saying you would do that. That's just an example. Another example of a utility friendship, which I deeply do not understand, is when people try to make friends with people who are pretty based on a belief that it will make themselves seem more pretty. I have known people who straightforwardly, unapologetically have admitted to doing this, and I just do not relate, not even from like a moral superiority perspective, but I genuinely would prefer all my friends to be formless souls, okay? I find prettiness in friends stressful, which is probably related to me being a little gay. We'll talk about that later. So these utility friendships don't have to be an evil and manipulative thing. It also could be something like you're friendly with someone in a class you're in, but mostly just because you don't know anyone else and you don't want to sit alone. So those are utility friendships, which Aristotle considers the lowest tier of friendship. Next are pleasure friendships. Pleasure friendships are friendships where you're essentially in it just for the fun. You're friends with this person because you enjoy their company, you have a good time with them, but it's not that deep. So for example, maybe you have a group of friends that you enjoy going out with from time to time, but you don't feel deeply compatible with them at a values level, at a who am I and what do I want out of life level. Those are your mid-tier friends in Aristotle's eyes, your pleasure friends. And last, we have philia friendships or friendships toward the good, the top tier. These are friends who you feel a deep value-based compatibility with. You respect these people, you admire their values, you're friends with these people not because of what you can get from them, like utility friends, not because you simply have a good time with them, like pleasure friends, but because you are platonically attracted to who they are as a human. Very quick side note on this because I know some man will call me out on it. I know that the way we use the word platonic, colloquially to mean in a non-romantic context is not in line with actual platonic love as described by Plato in the symposium, okay? I'm not getting into that. When I say platonic in this episode, I am using it in the conversational way and not the philosophical way, okay? So back to philia friendships, these value-based compatibility-based friendship. You might be wondering, well, how platonic were these philia friendships? Because men were certainly getting down with men in ancient Greece, we all know that, and philia sounds a little sexual. Or you might not be thinking that, but I am. Like, was it possible that Aristotle was just talking about friends who you have a sexual relationship with? After additional review, I do think that Aristotle is talking about purely platonic friendships here homosexuality among men was common in ancient greece but unfortunately the main ancient greek philosophers being socrates plato and aristotle all believed homosexuality was intrinsically immoral so if they were sleeping with their male friends they were not writing about it so i like aristotle's friendship labels because They provide a little more clarity than friends, close friends, best friends. They give us some criteria and structure and help us understand what closeness isn't. Closeness isn't high frequency of contact or communication necessarily if that contact is for pleasure or utility. But here's the thing. We as a society could have the most clear friendship labels in the world, which we don't, And it still wouldn't do much to clear up the messiness because unlike in dating, we do not typically have define the friendship conversations where we align on labels. You would not typically normally ask your friend, what am I to you? Am I your close friend? Am I your philia friend? Because you feel like a philia friend to me, but I don't know if you feel the same way. And you might be asking, Victoria, why the fixation on reciprocity? Why does it matter whether your friendships are equally yoked emotionally? Why does it matter if you value them more than they value you? And it's a good question. My opinion is that we intrinsically have a drive for reciprocity in both romantic and platonic relationships. We want to love, but we also really want to be loved back. We don't want to pour love into black holes, regardless of whether it's platonic or romantic love. I used to beat myself up about my fixation on reciprocity of love, and the older I get, the more I understand that I deserve for my love to be reciprocated, and it's normal to want that, and drive for that isn't something to be ashamed of. And for whatever reason, we have a societal hall pass to feel and express our drive for reciprocity when it comes to romantic love, but not so much in the context of friendships. But that doesn't mean we don't feel that drive. Which brings me to the next societally baked-in difficulty in friendships. Unlike in the context of dating, when it comes to friendship, we have no societal hall pass to feel and express jealousy. In dating, again, at least in monogamy land, Jealousy is expected, and not only that, it is accounted for in the structure of the relationship. What I mean by that is that monogamy is based on a presupposition of jealousy, at least to some degree. That might not be the only reason. But the agreement is, it would hurt me if you were romantically with someone else, so Please agree to be only with me. On the other hand, there is no jealousy hall pass in friendships, even close and best friendships. So, for example, it would not be normal to most to say to their best friend, Hey, I know you have multiple best friends, and actually it would be my preference to be your only best friend. That's not, that's not really a way we are allowed to feel. And even expressing milder jealousies, say, Hey, I see you've been giving your other friends more attention and time than me, and that makes me feel jealous, feels pretty taboo. Now, forgive me, but I need to talk about Alexander Hamilton for a minute here. I need to, okay? I know some Gen Z people find the millennial fixation on Hamilton the musical to be embarrassing, but this is a really interesting example of how our societal allowance of jealousy in the context of friendships has changed over time. So I have had a years-long fixation on Alexander Hamilton. And yes, Hamilton the Musical was the origin of that fixation. One of the main reasons for the fixation is that I have long believed that Alexander Hamilton was bisexual and in love with his close friend and fellow Continental Army officer John Lawrence during the Revolutionary War. So I have pored over their letters to each other and initially, I viewed so much of their correspondence in a romantic light. But the more I've thought about it and read about cultural norms of friendship during that time, I've realized that maybe we, current modern-day humans, project romance anywhere we see intensity of emotion. We don't see intense emotional expressions of platonic love as frequently today or open expression of platonically off-limits feelings like jealousy, so when we see them, historically, we assume people are in love with their friends. Let me give you an example. In 1779, Hamilton wrote this in a letter to John Lawrence. I have written you five or six letters since you left Philadelphia, and I would have written you more had you made proper return. But like a jealous lover, when I thought you slighted my caresses, my affection was alarmed and my vanity peaked. I had almost resolved to lavish no more of them upon you and to reject you as inconstant and an ungrateful blank. There's like a blank in the letter. But you have now disarmed my resentment and by a single mark of attention made up the quarrel. So basically... Hey John Lawrence, I wrote you six letters, you didn't hit me back, and I was in my feelings about that, okay? And I had decided not even to reach out to you again, because what's the point? But then you got back to me and I'm not mad anymore, okay? In another letter in 1779, he wrote, Cold in my professions and warm in my friendships, I wish my dear Lawrence it might be in my power by action rather than words to convince you that I love you. So the first time I read those letters, I was like, oh, he's in love with him. Come on. He is having sexual relations with that man. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You could not tell me otherwise, okay? But really, when you think about it, what about those quotes suggests romance? He's not saying, I wanna kiss you, John Lawrence. He's not saying, I'm in love with you, John Lawrence. I mean, I do think the word caresses the use of the word caresses is a little gay but regardless he's saying i was jealous when i didn't hear from you and i really love you and i think that many of us have felt those feelings in the context of friendship it's just not normal today to express them to the degree of intensity that alexander hamilton did we've been conditioned a little bit to think that we shouldn't feel jealousy in friendships and that our emotional range in friendships should be dialed down relative to our romantic relationships rather than platonic love just being a different type of love than romantic love and not necessarily a lesser love. Now, before I move on, I do want to say that I still do think Alexander Hamilton was bi. He said some much more interesting things in other letters. Like, for example, after his marriage to Elizabeth Schuyler, he wrote to John Lawrence and said, In spite of Schuyler's black eyes, I still have a part for the public and another part for you. Like, what part are we talking about here? Alexander and also his children allegedly destroyed some of his letters to John Lawrence because of the spiciness. So, but my point here is that there used to be much more acceptance around experiencing and expressing your full emotional range in the context of friendships and that that has eroded to such a degree that today we tend to automatically digest expressions of jealousy and other intense emotions positive or negative as romantic in nature okay moving on so no clear labels and no hall pass for jealousy what else makes friendships harder than dating unlike dating there is no roadmap for initiating friendships let me explain here with a story about a year ago i was walking my dog ruby and there was this girl on the street who was also walking her dog and ruby pulled her way over to this girl's dog we were headed in the same direction and we walked with them for a few minutes now this girl and i seem to be about the same age We had similar personal style. We had a nice little conversation during those few minutes. Basically, we seemed really compatible as potential friends. And we both seemed interested in talking to each other. At least, it seemed that way to me. And then, the moment ended. We went our separate ways on the street, never saw her again. And at that time, I was really lonely, really wishing for more friends in Houston, and I wanted to shout, wait, do you want to hang out sometime? But I didn't know how to do that. Now, if I had wanted to try to connect with this girl romantically, if I had wanted to ask her out, I would have known exactly what to do. We have lots of clear examples of what that looks like to try to connect romantically. It's been so nice to meet you. I really enjoyed our conversation. I wanted to ask, Would you like to go out on a date sometime? Now that's complicated a little bit with queer connections and it can be hard to work up the courage to do that but still, we know what that looks like. With friendship, we don't really have as clear a model of what to do when we want to be friends with someone. And if we do take the leap and make a clear effort to connect with someone platonically, the platonic equivalent of asking someone out, whatever that looks like, and they reject us, I think it can be even more crushing than romantic rejection. Because we know it's not because there's someone else. We know it's not because of a surface level reason, like they're not attracted to our physical appearance. I think it feels more personal and maybe even more embarrassing because of this weird societal suggestion that we shouldn't need to seek out friends. We should just have them in any space where we exist regularly. So even needing to do that, needing to seek out friends, let alone getting rejected, can make us feel shame, I think. And even if we do manage to successfully initiate things... We have no roadmap on where to go from there, so when you're dating someone new, it's pretty expected that you're going to talk to this person at least somewhat frequently. You're going to hang out with them frequently, and this high volume of contact and time together will help you grow close to them, right? With new friends. The expectation is almost the opposite. You're probably not going to communicate outside of when you see each other, which is probably not going to be that frequently. And as your friendship grows, you have no norms to follow when it comes to volume of communication or frequency of hangouts or any of that. And we're expected to somehow facilitate seeing this person enough to grow close to them while maintaining this air of nonchalance that is expected of us in friendships. Okay, so there are no clear labels in friendship. We have no hall pass to express our full emotional range, and we have no roadmap for how to initiate things and grow in closeness from there. I would like to make one last point in this discussion around why making friends is so hard and potentially harder than dating, and this one will not be relatable for many, but I would like to note that nowadays, many of us are at least a little bit gay, okay? And I say that jokingly, a little bit gay, but I'm talking about being a member of the LGBTQ community, okay? Gen Z women, I would love to know what percentage of y'all are LGBTQ because in my experience, it is staggering and I don't mean that critically at all I love that for you keep it up and if you didn't know I'm bisexual I used to think I would never ever come out and now I talk about being bisexual constantly and every time I do something like this where I like speak openly about it and put it on the internet I still feel a little like thrill of the joy of being myself so feels really good so you may have picked up on already that I think a lot of my emotional turmoil around friendship stems from various shades of gay panic. Will you think I'm hitting on you if I try to initiate a friendship with you? Am I bringing too much emotional intensity to my friendships by virtue of being queer? Will my friends think I'm in love with them if I'm affectionate or emotionally expressive? And I want to be clear here. I don't think I or anyone experiencing these feelings is pining after their friends. I'm definitely not. I'm happily engaged and in love. That's not my point. But being queer does color the way you move through the world irrevocably. I have always wondered what friendship would feel like if that element was just not on anyone's brain. I really envy straight women in that way. The ease of just pure unadulterated friendship where no one has considered whether anyone likes anyone is more than a friend or whether anyone thinks anyone likes anyone is more than a friend i have literally never experienced that because i have known i was queer for as long as i have been alive basically since my earliest memories even though i didn't come out until my mid-20s and before i was out the gay panic was even more overwhelming because then it was well what if I come on too strong and they think I like them and I thereby out myself as something I deeply do not want to be and definitely don't want people to know about. I don't feel that way now. I'm super proud to be queer, but I think I traumatized myself a little bit growing up carrying a big secret that was shameful to me at the time and it definitely colors how I move through friendships even now. Okay, that part felt very vulnerable to share but it felt important to mention because I think it's a big reason why I overthink friendships to such an intense degree and I would imagine maybe other queer women feel some of that so thank you for holding space for that if you're still here it felt good to say that out loud so we've talked about why I think friendship can be emotionally messier than dating There are no clear labels, there's no hall pass for jealousy or big feelings, there's no roadmap for initiating friendships, and many of us are a little gay. How do we make friends in spite of all that? So I was really lonely at the end of last year when I quit my law firm job, because I didn't have a lot of close friends that lived in Houston besides my co-workers. And I've managed to make some friends this year that I'm so grateful for and I really love. And that absolutely does not make me an expert on making friends. But I did want to tell you some things that have helped me a lot. So my number one tip is to use the internet. And I want to be clear about what I mean by that. So that can be friendship apps like Bumble BFF. But What has actually worked better in my experience has just been using social media. So if there are people you're connected with on social media that live in your city maybe you try to build a little banter with them on social media as weird as that sounds so like responding to their instagram stories from time to time or commenting on their tiktoks whatever that looks like depending on how you use social media and if that energy is reciprocated you could say something like hey i didn't realize you were in houston we should get together so these might be people you have crossed paths with in a previous stage of your life maybe you went to school with them but we're never really close, something like that. Or maybe they're people that you're connected with not because you've ever actually met them, but because of a common interest. Like I'm connected with a lot of yoga people on the internet that I've never met. You can also host or go to meetups or other internet-driven events based on common interests. So I inadvertently hosted a TikTok meetup at the beginning of this year just by oversharing on TikTok about being lonely. I was in Austin for the weekend and I live in Houston and I posted on TikTok and said, and this is embarrassing, but whatever. I said, I think I might be a little depressed and I really wish I had more friends in Houston, but I did yoga in the sunshine today and ate good pad thai and all my laundry is done and I'm in love, which I don't even know what to say about that. If you're on TikTok, you probably, that might not seem that weird. People do overshare on there, but that post popped off a little bit and it got hundreds of comments, many of which were from people in Houston asking to like have a meetup. So we did have a meetup, which was so much fun. And looking back on it, I feel like it quite literally turned a corner in my life like I was really struggling to adjust to quitting my law firm job and if I had to pinpoint a moment that started to sort of pull me out of that struggle it was probably that meetup. So for you that might not look like hosting something like that or maybe it does but these types of internet meetups are happening all the time and a lot of the time they're based around already having a common interest so maybe it's just going to one and I will caveat this by saying that if you're not an adult if you're under 18 you should definitely talk to your parents about that I know people nowadays take internet meetups more lightly but that's still something to always be mindful about and no matter whether you're a child or an adult you should always make sure someone knows where you are and that the meetup's in a public place like be safe about it but that's number one, use the internet. My next suggestion is to get okay with pleasure friendships. In other words, know that every friendship isn't going to be this soul-shattering philia, we know everything about each other, we tell each other our every thought. They're not all going to be that. I think making friends as an adult can be especially tough because we are comparing new friendships to friendships with people we have grown up with or maybe who we have lived with for years in the case of college friends. Some of the new friendships you make as an adult might not ever reach the level of depth of those child and teen friendships. And also maybe they will, but it's gonna take a long time. So in the meantime, try to be okay with Spending time with friends where you enjoy their company and you have common interests and maybe initially it isn't much more deep than that, that can still be a really beneficial and positive friendship, in my opinion. That leads me to my next point, which is to be patient. For whatever reason, friendship does not follow the same timeline as dating you are likely not going to become close friends with someone in a matter of weeks. Unless you're having some immersion experience with them like you're doing a yoga teacher training with them or you're in grad school with them something like that where you're seeing them every day but a lot of adults we are not doing anything every day except for working our jobs and then going home we don't have as many people as we used to where we cross paths with them every single day like maybe we did when we were in school so know that it's going to take time to build a friendship And don't view a slow-burning, slow-growing friendship as a sign that it's not going anywhere. My last tip here is to be emotionally open with friends from the start. So with new friends I've made this year, I have tried to show up as my most emotionally open self right from the jump because once you build a foundation with someone in terms of how you communicate with each other whether you're emotionally open and vulnerable and affectionate with each other it can be hard to change course right this doesn't just happen in friendships this can happen in your family too for example where you know someone very well and you are very close with them but you have just not historically been emotionally expressive with each other and so it feels really hard to open up and i think in the context of friendships That dynamic can really exacerbate gay panic, at least mine personally. And for anyone, I think it can make it harder to address conflict and to express affection when you want to. So in my newer friendships, I am really trying to practice expressing affection early on so that it seems normal in our friendship. So maybe that's saying, I am so grateful I met you. Or maybe it's admitting to being a little nervous the first time you hung out with someone. It doesn't have to be something mushy and out of place given how well you know this person at this point. But from the beginning, pushing back on that air of nonchalance that society tries to push on us about friendships. It's okay, and I think endearing actually, to be clear about the fact that you're coming into any relationship, be that platonic or romantic, with a lot of intention and hopefulness. And anyone who is going to be put off by that, that's something you want to know early on. That's not something you want to shield yourself from by not being emotionally open. I said that was my last tip on making new friends. I actually have one more. So my last point here is, and some of you will disagree with this, but I think it's important to try to follow through where you can with plans with new friends. New friendships and new relationships in general are at a very high risk of fizzling out completely. It doesn't take much when things are new. And the temptation to cancel plans with new people is really high because we're not comfortable with them yet. And maybe those first few hangouts actually feel more stressful than they do fun to you. And with any new people... I think we often want to show up as the best version of ourselves, and so if we're not feeling confident that day or something else has kind of upset the apple cart, it can be really tempting to cancel and plan to reschedule with them another time when you're going to be able to put your best foot forward. I totally get it, but... I do think that canceling on people, especially depending on how you do it, can communicate a lack of interest and it can signal that you aren't super enthusiastic about them as a friend, even if that's not the case at all. So just be really mindful that there is an opportunity cost to canceling and consider how it might make your new friend feel and know that in the early days of any relationship, things are fragile. Okay, so we've talked about why friendship can be emotionally messier than dating, and we've talked about how to make friends as an adult or some things that might help. So that brings me to the last big topic of this episode, which is related to this last idea we were just talking about of following through with new friends. Something I'm thinking about a lot lately is learning how to balance Loving myself really well while also loving the people in my life really well. Sometimes it can feel like those two things are in conflict, but in my opinion, they are usually not. We are in a cultural era of unapologetic self-care and enforcement of our boundaries and a celebration of honoring our social battery and taking care of ourselves basically at all costs. I want to talk about that and ask what is the line between bad friendship and self-care? How can we honor our limits and boundaries while also being a good friend who makes our friends feel loved and prioritized? How can we love ourselves well while also loving our friends well. And if those questions are pissing you off, just stick with me, okay? I want to tell you two quick stories to dive into this topic. And know that where these stories do not shine positive light on the people involved, I have changed the details enough to make it unclear who and what instance I'm talking about. And in the case of the story where I am not the flaky friend, this is more an amalgamation of several experiences rather than one in particular. So let's start with that story. A while ago, I had plans to hang out with a new friend and I was really excited to be connecting with this person. They are really advanced at a particular new hobby of mine and we were planning to go do that thing. Let's say it was bouldering. It wasn't. I was feeling a little nervous about this hangout, doing a new thing with a new person, the aforementioned gay panic and social anxiety, all of that. So the day before this hangout, I'm thinking and planning and googling. I'm searching what to know before your first time bouldering, what to wear bouldering, where to park at XYZ Bouldering Gym. We were planning to get food after and I happened to know this person was gluten-free so I had also found a few places with gluten-free options nearby where near where we were bouldering so that we didn't end up somewhere without options for them and I normally work on content creation stuff on the weekend since I have a full-time job so that week I had worked on my content creation stuff during the weeknights after work so that I wasn't too panicked with content stuff to have time to do this long hangout. So all that to be said, I had used some brain space on this hangout, mostly to my own fault. No one had asked me to rearrange my week and stress about every detail of this hangout, but I was excited and I wanted it to go well. So it's the day of our hangout, almost time for our hangout. I am hand on the doorknob about to walk out the door, and they text essentially saying that they're feeling anxious and they're not up for being around people. And on the one hand, I totally understand that. That happens to me too, and I never want to put anyone in a position where they are overextending themselves to placate me. But on the other hand, I was disappointed because I was looking forward to this and now I'm like in an out of sorts position because I had relied on our plan when I was structuring my week. And there was also a part of me that received it personally, even if that's unfair and has nothing to do with this person and everything to do with my own insecurities. There was a voice in my head that said, well, this happened because they don't want to hang out with you that much. And that's vain to admit that I centered myself in this person's anxiety, but that is just honestly how I felt in the moment. I'm not defending that emotion as morally correct necessarily. Now, I did not let on that I felt that way, and I responded just saying, that's totally fine, no worries, I totally understand. But that was just the honest truth of how I felt. Okay, so that's story number one. In story number two I am the flaky friend. And this is an exact story without anything changed because the only person who potentially looks bad in this one is me. So, much more recently than story number one, I had plans to go thrift shopping with my friends, Amy, Dina, and Rachel on a Sunday morning. If you're listening, Amy, Dina, and Rachel, hi, I love you. And I was so excited about this. I was the one who had suggested we do this. I'm so excited to have Amy, Dina, and Rachel in my life. I was all around pumped about this. But then, Saturday night, in the middle of the night, something distressing happened, and I'm not going to go into detail about what it was, and everything is absolutely fine now, but in that moment, I was extremely distressed, to the point where I was up all night crying, and my fiance, Roy, was up some of the night with me because I was so out of sorts but I thought that it might be resolved by the next morning when I was supposed to go thrift shopping so I didn't say anything to my friends but by the next morning this distressing situation is still unfolding and escalating even and so I similar to my friend in the first story, text at the last minute, and with very little detail about what is going on, I say I can't go. I say basically, hey, something has happened and I can't go today. I'm really sorry to cancel at the last minute. And that's it, less than an hour before we were supposed to meet. And unlike me, Amy, Dina, and Rachel received this with so much grace. They got me a little sweet gift while they were out thrift shopping without any information about what was going on, and just made me feel so loved. Even though it would have been easy to be annoyed by that behavior, because even though I knew something extremely distressing was unfolding, they didn't. And regardless of the reason I bailed on them, I bailed on them, right? With very little advance notice and without really any explanation. That's story number two. Why did I tell you those stories? I tell you those stories to highlight the tension that can come up between, on the one hand, honoring your emotions and limits and not overextending yourself and prioritizing your mental health. And on the other hand, being a good friend who makes your friends feel loved and prioritized and valued and who is considerate of your friend's time. We are shifting into an era that celebrates prioritizing your own well-being, almost at all costs. There's this viral tweet that I'm thinking about that says something like, it's okay to cancel plans. It's okay to stay home. It's okay to resurface 10 years later in a foreign country with a new name. It's self-care, which clearly that's a joke. But some people really do feel like that like hey i know we made elaborate and detailed plans and we booked flights and we bought concert tickets in another city but actually you know i'm drained and it just doesn't sound fun to me anymore so kisses i hope you enjoy the show like it really can be like that and i am not shitting on feeling that way because i totally get it i am the queen of making plans and then regretting it but There has to be somewhere where we draw the line and say, when is acting on those feelings, that desire to cancel, self-care? And when is it bad friendship? I think it makes perfect sense that people are in this headspace when we are finally feeling empowered to honor our intuition, following centuries of people and especially women being told that their worth lies in their ability and willingness to tirelessly serve others. We are experiencing this collective rebellion against the virtue of selflessness as the pinnacle of womanhood. And I think that's fantastic. There's a quote from Untamed by Glennon Doyle, which is a book I love so dearly that I think explains this really well. I'll read it to you. Selfless women make for an efficient society, but not a beautiful, true, or just one. When women lose themselves the world loses its way. We do not need more selfless women. What we need right now is more women who have detoxed themselves so completely from the world's expectations that they are full of nothing but themselves. What we need are women who are full of themselves. A woman who is full of herself knows and trusts herself enough to say and do what must be done. She lets the rest burn. So I love that quote, and I'm genuinely so glad we're having this moment. But, how do we reconcile the importance of showing up for ourselves, being full of ourselves, with the importance of showing up for others, and specifically, in the case at hand here, with being a good friend, who makes our friends feel loved and prioritized? Because I do think that's really important too. You might ask, is it possible? Can you be a dependable friend and also ruthlessly take care of your own mental health and well-being? I do think it's possible to be a good friend and take care of yourself well at the same time. And I want to highlight a few ways I'm trying to walk that line lately. Number one, don't make plans you know you won't want to follow through on. If your friend asks you to do something two weeks in the future, and you know, for whatever reason, that it's something you're going to dread and feel anxious about when it's actually time to do it, do not say yes. You do not owe people yes. Now, if you're finding that doing anything with that particular friend, no matter what it is, is going to be unpleasant for you, maybe you need to think about whether that friendship is working. But... If this is situational, if they asked you to go to a concert and you know concerts make you feel overstimulated or whatever they wanna do for their birthday is gonna be really expensive and you know spending the money is gonna stress you out, something like that, don't say yes when you want to say no. Saying no initially and giving as much of an explanation as you feel comfortable giving is absolutely okay. What's maybe not as okay is when it's one hour before the thing And that is the moment when you realize you just cannot stomach it and you cancel. So say no early. I think that's how we get ourselves in a lot of these situations. We made a plan and even at the time when we made it, we knew it wasn't something we felt comfortable with or wanted to do. We were just saying yes to be nice, saying yes to avoid the discomfort of saying no. But even though it might be more uncomfortable, it's actually a lot nicer and more considerate to say no initially. Then it is to say yes and then flake at the last minute. So that's number one. Don't say yes when you want to say no. Number two. So let's say this isn't one of those situations. Let's say you make plans and at the time you make them, you're so excited about them. It sounds fun to you. You're genuinely enthusiastic about this friend. But then it's coming up and for whatever reason, you are just no longer up for it. Maybe something happened. Maybe you're feeling anxious, whatever it is. Like me in story number two, I was so excited about these plans before this distressing situation came up the night before. My tip here is as soon as you start to get the sense you may not be up for it, communicate about it. Even if that means communicating before you know whether or not you'll go. So in my thrift shopping example, this situation started to happen the night before But I waited until right before our plans were supposed to happen the next day to communicate that I couldn't go. And my reasoning for that was that I was hopeful that this situation would resolve itself and I would still be able to go. But what I think I should have done instead is when the issue started to come up or when the feeling starts to come up, whatever's going on for you... When you're starting to get that like, oh, I can't socialize, whatever it is, let your friends know. It doesn't have to be a detailed thing or a final decision. You could say, and I should have said, hey, I'm struggling a little bit right now, or hey, I'm having a hard night and I might not be up for our hangout tomorrow. Would it be okay? Okay if we touch base in the morning. That way, you are giving them some heads up so that they're not hand on the doorknob heading out the door to meet you, finding out that that meeting is not happening. And I think that this is particularly important for one-on-one hangouts, where if you bail, the meeting is not happening. And I think almost any friend will understand in this situation, and they might even say, hey, I'm feeling the exact same way, actually. Maybe we could reschedule. So that's number two communicate as soon as you start to get a feeling that you might not be up for your plans. Okay, number three. Let's say you followed one and two to a T. You made this plan because it sounded fun at the time and you started to feel not up for it as it came closer and you communicated about that and now it's time for the hangout and you are just not up for it and you do ultimately cancel. Or alternatively, let's say your friend asked you to do something that you knew would stress you out and you said no initially just like we talked about. When either of those situations happen, you say no to to an invitation to do something or you cancel on plans you've made with someone. You don't need to feel bad about honoring where you are emotionally or mentally. There's nothing to feel bad about that but do know and keep in mind that it may be a good idea for you to be the one to initiate the next hangout with this friend and that if there's anything you could do to reaffirm them as your friend that might be a nice thing to do doesn't have to be anything big it could be texting them to check in on how they're doing or reaching out to say i would love to see you when can we hang out taking the initiative to plan the next thing and or reaffirm them. And I think that's a good idea because when you cancel on a friend or say no to a friend, even if they totally understand, sometimes our insecurities get the best of us, right? Like kind of like me in the first example where my friend canceled on me. My insecurities got the best of me and I thought, what if they canceled because they don't really like me? What if them canceling is not about how they're feeling and it's more about that they just don't really have any interest in hanging out with me. And on the one hand, my insecurities are not my friend's responsibility and there's nothing that this friend did to make me feel that way and I should have taken them at their word. But I do think a lot of us when we're experiencing disappointment, we have this natural inclination to make it about us and our own shortcomings so just keep in mind that your friend might be feeling that way so if there's any way that you can affirm them pour a little extra love on them take the wheel making plans next time that might go a long way to make them feel reassured and valued which brings me to my last point if you are the friend who gets canceled on or told no try not to make it about you. So when my friend canceled on me in story one, I made it about me, right? I made it about my insecurities. I made it about that person not wanting to be my friend versus when I canceled on my friends in story two, they took me at my word with no information and jumped into how can we help mode. They felt secure. They didn't make it about them. They trusted me that it was about what I said it was about. And that made all the difference. Okay, I think that's all I have. I initially planned to talk about friendship breakups in this episode, why they're so hard, how to navigate them on both sides of the equation as the friend who's being cut out and as the friend who's looking to end a friendship. But this is already very long. So I I can save that for another episode. So let me know if you're interested in hearing about that and I will make a whole episode about it. Thank you so, so much for being here, especially if you're still listening at this point. Wow, I'm genuinely amazed by that. It would mean the world to me if you would leave a review or share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. I am really grateful for you and I'll see you next time.